Hello, and welcome to the Other Minds podcast. I'm Joseph Bohikin. That was an excerpt of Sedimental by our guest today, Teresa Wong. Other Minds, founded in 1993 in San Francisco by Charles Amerikanian and Jim Newman, is devoted to championing the most original voices in new and experimental music. On this season of the podcast, we're talking with the featured composers from our 26th Other Minds Festival, which will take place on October 13th to 15th, 2022, at the Great Star Theater in San Francisco. Today, I'm here with composer, cellist, and vocalist Teresa Wong. Wong is a musician active at the intersection of improvisation, composition, and the synergy of multiple disciplines. Her works include As We Breathe, an installed song commissioned by Long Beach Opera, She Dances Naked Under Palm Trees, commissioned by pianist Sarah Cahill, and Harbors, co-composed with long-string instrument inventor Ellen Fullman. Recent commissions include works for San Francisco Girls Chorus, Naked Eye Ensemble, and Del Sol String Quartet. Wong has shared her work internationally and is the founder of Folk Soul, a record label dedicated to adventurous music from the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. Welcome to the podcast, Teresa. Thank you, Joey. So one thing I've noticed just reading about your work is that you've said the physicality of playing your cello is really important to your compositional process. So could you talk about the connection between physicality in performance and composition? Yeah, so I do a lot of playing when I'm composing. So I feel that the process of both improvising and also making sounds with the body, with the instruments, is really integral to my way of composing. I feel mostly because that's the exploration process that feels the most um, kind of intuitive for me to discover sounds and put them together that way. Yeah, and it seems like that's something that's really important for a project like Harbors, which you co-composed with long-string instrument inventor Ellen Fullman. Of course, that's a combination of your instrument, the cello, and an invented instrument and the long-string instrument. So could you talk about that collaborative process in working with Ellen and that physicality of those two instruments? Yes, definitely. Um, so um, for that project, we actually, well, we often begin by playing together. So again, through the process of improvisation, we gather ideas, but then we made MIDI samples of each other's instruments. And, um, and the reason why I also made a MIDI sample of the cello was because we composed the piece in 432A, so we tuned everything down. Um several hertz and so we each had you know basically a sampler keyboard where we could try different intervals out pitches I mean it's all very specific tuning so we would um, each kind of sketch on our own just like you would on you know writing something on MIDI but it would be long string instrument and cello and then we would come back together like in the space and try these ideas out because you know, it's just so different when you actually play something out into the room. 
and versus in the computer. So through that process, you know, then we'd go back and reiterate and we came up with the structure of the composition. So, and, and actually this, you know, this lasted kind of a process over a couple of years because each time we performed it, we would learn something different or we would actually have the time to dedicate to, you know, shaping a particular, you know, section each time until we were really happy with the overall composition. You mentioned tuning. It seems like tuning is really important for a lot of your work. How did you get into that as being a critical part of your composition and deciding on non-equal tempered tunings? Yeah, so, um, you know, my first exposure to the world of just intonation, so, you know, working out of the 12-tone equal temperament system, really began maybe around 2005 or six, And this was when I had kind of taken a break from music for about 10 years and gotten back into it. And I was studying, I was doing my master's at Mills College. Um, it sort of first began just playing with um, Ellen. We got together and just improvised. And um, I just felt like it, it really, the sound really drew me in. And then as we kept working together, I felt like, I was extremely out of tune <laughs> because her you know, tuning system is in just intonation. So then I started studying a little bit more about it. And, um, you know, all these years really have tried to deepen my understanding and then began mapping the um, uh, harmonics on the cello, which is just, you know, this vast world of sound and pitches and relationships, which for the most part, I never was really taught or exposed to, you know, in like classical training. And I think a lot of people still aren't, which is really interesting. Um, so that was really just, you know, fun because I just discovered so much and continue to do so. I mean, there's just so much I still don't know. But then, um, you know, through the years, I then began to work uh, more with uh, Chris Brown recently um, in the last like five, six years. And he's been also composing um, these amazing pieces using Harry Parch's tuning system. And so playing and singing and deepening my understanding of just intonation has been is sort of growing in the last few years. And I, I feel so just drawn to that world because um, it's really like expanding harmony and understanding a whole world that's of new sounds that are possible. Of course, you know, a lot of it is also like ancient, right? And in music of all cultures of the world, but then so much of our music has been homogenized to 12-tone equal temperament. So there's this interesting idea that it's also kind of allowing for like this, you know, uh, I call it biodiversity, you know, or multiculturalism in sound that, we are kind of losing. Let's listen now to an excerpt of Harbors, performed by Teresa Wong and Ellen Fullman, released on Room 40.
That was an excerpt of Harbors, performed by Teresa Wong and Ellen Fullman. So I'd, I'd like to move on to something that's uh, unrelated to cello, and that's your piece, As We Breathe, which you wrote for Long Beach Opera. So you mentioned to me in our correspondence that this also deals with some just intonation tuning. So could you tell us a little bit about that? And I'd be interested as well in the video collage component, because this was presented online as, as sort of a pandemic project, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, Long Beach Opera created what they called the 2020 Songbook, and this was commissioned right at the end, like the fall of 2020. And um, they commissioned several um, artists to create pretty short sort of like three to five minute pieces that was um, premiered at their gala. And so it was all online, of course, that was really in the, you know, intense mid middle of the pandemic. And so in a way that kind of um, pushed me into creating this form that I call installed song, which I've had in my mind for years. And I've, I've done, you know, a couple renditions of, of this idea, which is to have, to have the experience of a song, not just be, you know, music and people performing music, but something that's sculptural, something that's visual, something that's physical. And I had done this, um, during my residency at the Headland Center for the Arts in about, I think, 2009, where I performed a song and it was, you know, embedded in a particular space there and there was a projection. So you experience this whole kind of, you know, it's sort of like walking onto the stage of an opera, but you're in the middle of it. And there's things that, you know, don't quite make sense or you can, you can kind of change as you walk through as an audience member. So I just, you know, I think the pandemic, the, the limitations of obviously not being able to perform live made me think about, well, how would I construct a piece that, you know, even though it's limited to on screen, um, the piece is a very physical sculpture. I mean, it's a, it's the filming of a sculpture that ideally would also be in a space that you could see and you could see this mobile of paper, you could see the projections. Um, so this is kind of, um, a seed for other pieces that I'd like to develop that can actually be experienced in a space. In those future iterations, could you see that as something where audience members could actually walk around within the the physical sculpture and have that sort yeah. of 3D element? Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that would be really interesting because you you write about the intervention of air being an element i could see that being something where the the intervention of air from people walking in the space makes exactly. something that would be really cool yeah exactly that you know that you're affecting also the piece as you view it or as you listen you know um so yeah so that's that's something that i'm i'm currently sort of you know in the developmental phase of brainstorming. Um, so this piece, I, I decided to focus on the breath because that was like in the middle of, you know, like the worst um, wildfires that California has experienced. And on top of the pandemic, it was just like the breath was just such this central focal, you know, focal point of like all the disasters that were going on. And then on top of that, the Black Lives Matter movement, which, you know, is just all about the breath and, you know, people being suffocated and murdered. And also it was just kind of a, a way to, to cope, you know, to like focus on breathing, just to deal with all the anxiety, you know. 
Um, so I chose a, a text by a really dear friend, uh, Mercedes Rofe. She's an Argentine poet based in New York City. And the text is from a longer work called Floating Lanterns. And it's just all about dreaming, you know, like sort of the sea dreaming to be a tree, like what, what we are dreaming to become, you know, because I just thought about how so many lives are lost and so many dreams are being, you know, just destroyed during all of these disasters. But yet we're all kind of in this holding pattern and thinking about what we want to do, what we could do. Um, and, um, so I worked remotely with um, David Castillo. He is a tenor based in L.A. And um, it was it was just such a fun process, you know, figuring out how to make this piece remotely, how to do this kind of multimedia uh, construction of it. And he was just so fun to work with. Um, so I wrote it in a tuning system that's also drawn from Harry Parch, and it's his like 11 limit tuning diamond that I use sort of as a guide. And so I composed this melody using those pitches or certain pitches from that diamond and, um, and taught it to David sort of more, more or less by ear because he hadn't worked in just an intonation before. And so through MIDI and just practicing, um, we worked on it and he recorded himself remotely. So just like we're talking now, we had a recording session over zoom where he had his, you know, <laughs> recording gear on and a video. So the whole thing had him singing and the video and the audio. And he gave all that footage to me. And then I created another video collage. Now there's also um, I do play on the piece. I'm playing a koto, actually, which I don't play as like an instrument. I don't really know how to play it properly. But um, since we have one here, um, I wanted to play a stringed instrument that I could tune also in just intonation with open strings that I could you know, play easily. Of course, the cello is harder because you have to finger everything. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> and so I tuned the 13 strings of the koto to this you know, particular tuning system. And then I, I'm improvising on it with drumsticks and plucking and, and just sort of playing it my own way. Um, so I took all of that audio um, from David and collaged it into the piece that you hear. But then the video as well first, so there's kind of like two steps to the video. I first collaged it in Premiere to make a piece that would be projected onto the paper. So that that collage has, you know, several of his faces singing. And then I also collaged in like data maps from COVID and um, the air quality control maps, you know, that we were all glued to for those several months. Um, and then also a picture of George Floyd. And so then that collage got projected onto a paper mobile basically that I made. Um, and it's really, you know, maybe like three feet by two feet or so. And this collage was hanging. And when I projected it, projected that film onto it, then the air in the room would, you know, move the paper. And it just became this really kind of mesmerizing way of, in a way like video manipulation, but it was just purely physical. 
And so you would see like the image disappear and reappear and sort of this idea of fragmentation that, you know, we were all feeling during the time um, is kind of in, embedded in, in that look. Yeah. So then that was filmed. And then that's what the video that's online, that's what you see. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Let's listen now to an excerpt of As We Breathe, performed by David Castillo and Teresa Wong. an excerpt of As We Breathe by Teresa Wong. So Teresa, you have a new album coming out on your record label Folk Soul called Practicing Sands, and you're playing cello and singing. Could you tell us a bit about that new album? Yes. So this album, um, I guess I can say it's been a long time in the making, but right before the pandemic started, I was um, going to to go into the gym of the Headland Center for the Arts and record the solo material that I've been developing. Um, I mean, I've been developing it intensely for like the year before that, but more, I could say it's many years of developing um, just this personal vocabulary on the cello and the voice. So when the lockdown started, um, I obviously couldn't go into that space. And so I decided just to give it a try and, you know, start to record it on my own. Of course, we had no idea how long that would last and all that kind of stuff. So in the very first couple months of the pandemic, I just began by studying microphone recording techniques. <laughs> and I totally fell in love with this. <laughs> Didn't realize I would get so into this process. So just watching videos online, um, I took an online course on recording. Um, fortunately, um, Ellen and I have many microphones at home 
because her instrument is hard to obviously impossible to bring into a studio. So we both have a good set of microphones. So I just started to study and, you know, do these tests like, okay, what does a midside configuration sound like? What does a blum line configuration sound like? What does an XY pairs, you know, compared to a space pair sound like? And it was just like this really amazing exercise of listening, you know, really intensely and changing things minutely, you know, a little bit of an inch difference of your microphone placement. How does that sound? And I think the reason why I was just so eager to like discover how this all worked for me is that as a cellist, you know, I'm holding my instrument. I'm really like hugging my instrument. And then when I sing, that's my body as well. So I feel just so connected to the physical vibration when I perform. And yet it's been so hard to convey that often to an audience, you know, because I think it's such an intimate and like physical experience for me that simply like, for example, putting it through an amp or putting it through stereo speakers it just completely changes that physical experience. You know, you're suddenly getting these like very directional waves coming at you from two boxes rather than this ambient physical three-dimensional experience. So when, you know, I was studying on this recording techniques, I just wanted to try. (laughs) It's always like maybe a Sisyphus pushing up a stone up the hill, but, you know, try to capture what that kind of sensation is that I'm experiencing. And it's, you know, it really, it relates directly to composition. It's sort of like how you're composing with the way you capture a sound or in the live, you know, event, how you amplify a sound. Um, So I, through the process, I ended up with this kind of configuration of about seven microphones and I kind of changed it each piece. Sometimes it was a subtle change. Sometimes it was kind of a big change depending on the music so that it could really, you know, maximize the composition of the piece. So these pieces are, I would say, structured improvisations. I have very kind of specific things that are determined, like tuning or technique or timing. Um, But then within that, a lot of it is very open and improvised. Um, But I had a microphone, a a mid-side configuration under my seat, which was kind of fun because I realized that there are certain frequencies, largely the lower, the fifth or the three over two. So the perfect fifth, the overtone of a lot of low frequencies came out through the back of the cello, which, you know, I didn't know, (laughs) but as a performer like that, that's something that I really experienced strongly, you know, that isn't coming through for the audience. And then I had a couple sets, mostly like a blum line in front of me of two ribbon microphones and then two cardioids that were more widely spaced to capture the fingerboard. So the fingerboard, you know, you get a lot more higher overtones coming out. And then there's a lot of work that's also very tactile and very percussive on the fingerboard. So that those two captured that, whereas the blum line kind of was for, more for the lower, the basic kind of low cello um, sound. And then I had a vocal mic. So through all of that, it was just like a study on, I don't know, recording as composition. And I took a lot of time recording each piece. So that process was about like April through June, where I would just record a piece over and over and kind of study it and 
try to, you know, get it the way that I really thought was conveying the piece the best as I could. Yeah. Uh, what kind of changes would you make from take to take in either microphone placement or in the what you would actually be playing based on what you're hearing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, well, the microphone placement, you know, for example, I might have moved the stereo pair, the condensers, wider or narrower, depending on the music. Um, and then, for example, like in the last piece, which is a, a low drone that's very noisy, um, I decided instead of a blum line, which is two ribbon microphones, you know, stacked right on top of each other, that gives a stereo image, I decided to put them widely spaced because I really wanted to kind of accentuate that um, wideness, that feeling of more space because it's like, it's like this very kind of undulating drone of noise and harmonics. And just to emphasize the feeling of like a wide open space, I, I created that with a wider stereo spread. Um, and, and the sense of movement as well. So as I go from the C string to the upper strings, you, you feel that panning, you know, in the space as well as you're, as you're listening. Um, and then as far as takes musically, yeah, it was just, you know, how, when you play something a couple of times, there's always subtle differences in the timing or maybe in how well certain things speak, how well certain pitches or harmonics come out. So, yeah, that was, I guess, kind of just, they're, they're pretty, I don't know, I guess you could say they're kind of subtle, the, the differences musically. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was also curious about your idea of timbral merging, which you wrote about a bit about timbral merging between the cello and the voice. I noticed that especially in the track Sedimental, uh, I mm -hmm. thought that timbral merging was really nice between the cello and voice. Could you talk about that a bit more? Yeah, so I started using my voice you know, when I got back into playing cello, and I had never really studied singing, but it just felt very natural, and I felt just drawn to using my voice. So, of course, there's kind of a wide range of how you can do that. You know, sometimes I've sung just, and even in this album, like the piece Quiet Clearing, I'm just singing a melody, and then the cello becomes sort of an accompaniment. But then what I'm really interested also is that really kind of like the phrase I mentioned, you said timbral merging, where you're combining those two sounds so closely that, you know, it's hard to tell what's going on. What is the voice and what is the cello? And it's just this kind of very exciting feeling of like, oh, that's like a new sound or that's a new instrument that I've never heard before, <laughs> you know. And so in a way, sedimental, um, I also named it that way because it feels like a rock to me, you know, like a sedimentary rock where you can see the individual elements, but it's just, it's one thing, you know, it's like they're embedded into each other. And um, I just, I just find that both the sound quality, but also the feeling of making those sounds really exciting. You know, it's just sort of like you're merging these vibrations together. You also wrote that the album was inspired by the sensations of genetic sonic memory. That phrase was really interesting to me because I'm really curious about genetic memory and 
sonic yeah. memory. I'd be curious to hear you expand on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was also reading some of uh, about your work also with, you know, the Armenian history. And so I think um, that has a definite correlation. I find what's interesting is that through, you know, my years of composing and improvising and making music, and I think maybe everyone can relate to this, but, you know, there's certain ideas, certain sounds that kind of just reoccur and they come up and you don't quite know where they're coming from. For me, those things are often time signatures. So um, I love of like seven and 13 and five odd, 11 odd time signatures that sometimes I'll just sit down and improvise something and I'll just kind of play and I'm like, this is really grooving. And then I'll try to figure it out. What am I playing? And then it's like, usually ends up to be some odd time signature. I don't know why. And then um, certain scales, so certain modes, you know, certain um, melodic and harmonic kind of uh, structures also often repeat themselves. And then, of course, you know, certain things like this noise of the C string, of a detuned C string. Um, and then, you know, I think about how, you know, you're obviously everybody's influenced by their musical experiences right so your training or lack of training your education what kind of music you've been listening to and exposed to and then there there are moments where okay for example when I was writing harbors and I was you know researching and mapping the cello harmonics well a lot of that piece is based on the press notes right just so like you press your finger down and you sound a note and then the harmonics that would occur right at certain nodal points so if you press a note here or you lift your finger and you hear the harmonic, um, those are usually two different sounds unless you're at the very last nodal point. And so there's a relationship between those two. And so we based actually the whole composition of harbors really around that concept. And so later on, you know, I was looking at this book called Musical Mathematics um, by Chris Forster. And I look at this book of, or this diagram of the Chinese chin, this um, ancient seven string zither, which is like one of my favorite instruments. And it's exactly that system. It's all based on pressed notes and flageolet notes of the harmonics. And I just read this yesterday that the open string was considered like the tone of earth. And then the pressed note was considered the tone of people and then the harmonics was considered the tone of heaven, you know? So like the people wow. are between earth and heaven. I just thought <laughs> that is so beautiful. And I can just relate to that so much. Like this feeling that this sound and the glissando of playing the cello with harmonics and press notes, it just feels so familiar to me. And, you know, maybe it's not even true, but I feel like it could be something connected to like my genetic memory, my genetic kind of DNA of, Chinese music, or even um, like Mongolian long song. I don't know if you've heard that, but there's this beautiful like long vocalizations that were made, you know, really to communicate across the plains. So they're extremely long and um, usually with a lot of kind of fluttering ornaments, you know, in order to kind of like call the other person. You know, like yodeling is a similar thing. It's like the yodeling was to communicate between, you know, Alp, Alpen, um, you know, hillsides and or mountains. And so there's a lot of um, kind of high movement pitch-wise 
So, cause that's what you could hear. So I would just hear these things and feel like, oh, there's something so familiar, even though I've never really experienced those things, you know? Um, but don't you, th I don't know. Don't you think that if you can inherit, let's say like, you know, your ancestors, um, knack for, you know, math or your one and another ancestors, um, knack for, you know, art or business that somehow we're also inheriting like musical information genetically. I certainly think there could be something to that. I've been trying to do research on that and <laughs> uh -huh. I, I haven't come up with concrete information, but I, based on my experience, I, I think there could be something to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or just sort of in general, like why do certain cultures have certain rhythms, right? Or certain scales versus others. So um, I think that's just a really fascinating thing to think about. I'm sure people have done more research, but it's just a feeling I have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. Let's listen now to an excerpt of Sedimental from Teresa's new album, Practicing Sands, available September 14th on her record label, Folk Soul. That was Sedimental, from Teresa Wong's new album, Practicing Sands, out on September 14th on Folk Soul. You can hear Teresa perform at Other Minds Festival 26 on October 13th, 2022, at the Great Star Theater in San Francisco. Thank you, Teresa, for joining me today, and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks so much for having me, Joey. This has been an episode of the Other Minds podcast. Brought to you by Other Minds. Our 26th festival is October 13th to 15th, 2022 at the Great Star Theater in San Francisco. Until next week.